0: Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill, your host, and today's quote is by Maya Angelou. You can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. We have a very creative and fascinating guest for you today. Jeffrey Madoff is the founder and CEO of Madoff Productions, a New York based creative production company. He has directed award winning commercials, documentaries, and web content around the world. Madoff is an adjunct professor at Parsons, the new school of design. He teaches a course he developed called Creative Careers Making a Living with Your Ideas, where he interviews a wide range of entrepreneurs, artists, writers, and business leaders about their journey. He also has a book published called The Same, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, which is an Amazon bestseller. He is a sought-after speaker and consultant on how to create a brand. Having He's produced brand videos for Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, the Harvard School for Public Health, and so many more. He's also on the board of advisors for Artolution, a global organization that is focused on developing local leaders in the arts. And we're going to ask him all about all of this, including... The, the play that he has written and producing called Personality, the Lloyd Price musical. I mean, there's so much I could go on. You'll find more in the show notes, but let's bring them on here. Jeffrey, how are you today? I'm good, Heather, and thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you here. I just don't even know where to begin because we have I have so many things that I want to ask you. How about it Is there anything that you'd like to tell us about what got you to where you are now before I dive into some questions about where you are now?
1: I have no idea how I got to where I am now. I just kind of showed up and here I was (laughs) uh, and here I am. Uh, So, you know, I have no master plan. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring it out. Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, anybody who's honest, the answer is
0: yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm going to get. I'm going to ask you because we were doing a little pre-show chat, and I loved the story you told. So I'm going to ask to go back and share this, at least as part of your background, your journey. So uh, I was chatting with Jeff about my background in in New York city and in dance. And he told me the best story about one of my heroes. So so Jeffrey, would you be able to share the story that you just shared with me? Sure. Uh,
1: When you told me that you did modern dance, Mm -hmm. I mentioned that I had done two films about Martha Graham and Martha actually created the art form called modern dance. Mm -hmm. So I got to know Martha a bit, uh, and when she died, I was asked to do a film about her. And uh, I used, as the background of the film, I used her yet unpublished autobiography that was called Blood Memory, and I was given a galley copy of it. And I pulled things out from that, and I said, I want to have somebody do the voiceover. And they said, well, Joanne Woodward already told us that she'd like to work with us. And so did Kathleen Turner. And this was back in like 1992 or so. Mm -hmm. And I said, actually, I don't wanna have a female. I don't want anybody thinking that, is that Martha's voice? Is that somebody trying to sound like Martha? Mm -hmm. So I'd like a male voice because I just want the audience to focus on the words because they're so extraordinary what Martha wrote. Mm -hmm. And uh, any, any men associated with the company. Well, Martha used to teach movement for actors. And they said to me, Gregory Peck took that course, uh, studied with Martha, and we could ask him. I said, well, that would be great. He's got one of the great voices of all time. Yeah. And uh, so they said, well, let us give him a call. And a couple hours later, I get a phone call and I'm called to the phone and Gregory Peck is on the phone for you, Jeff. And so I picked up the phone and I said, hello, Mr. Peck. And in his great voice, which I won't even attempt to imitate, he said, (laughs) hello. And uh, he said, I'd be honored to do the voiceover. He said, I only have one request. And I said, what's that? And he said that I write the introduction. I said granted <laughs> of course
0: yeah uh, <laughs> you know, that was and, an easy one
1: yeah and I said uh, to him do you that I could include in the film is there any footage of you in the class or any pictures you have or anything like that and he said the only thing I have is my headshot and it's from like 1948 or so. And I was taking those classes. So I have my headshot, my actor's headshot from that time. And I said, could you send that to me, please? And he said, sure. The next day I get a FedEx and the return address is Atticus Corporation. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. And of course, Atticus refers to Atticus Finch, the main character in To Kill a Mockingbird that Gregory Peck won the Oscar for. So I thought wow this is really cool. Ugh. Atticus Corporation.
0: That is so, amazing.
1: Yeah, it was a joy to work with him. He was a wonderful man.
0: You know, I love this story and and I have to tell you had we had the story prior I would have immediately gone and and watched the documentary that you made but I haven't seen it yet I'm chomping at the bit to be able to take a look and uh, we'll put something in the show notes on how to find it as well for anyone who is okay so I just I am so excited about what other stories you're going to come out with over the next uh, 20 30 minutes so let's talk about about risk and failure and success. Let's let's just dive deep right away, okay? So how do you assess risk? Let's start with that.
1: Well, risk is an interesting concept because risk by its very definition means you don't know what the outcome is gonna be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that adrenaline that comes from risk is from that sense of unknowing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Risk can be calculated. We've all heard that term calculated risk. And that could be something very simple. You could be deciding to make a bet in a card game. Um, we're not talking about breaking the bank here. We're just talking about a game among friends. Uh, or you could be making this, the decision to jump off a ledge into a lake or you know whatever. There's all kinds of different risks. You can place yourself at risk emotionally with a potential partner, or with your kids, or with other friends, or even when you're speaking like you and I are speaking, uh, placing myself at risk, because you might ask me questions that I don't want to (laughs) answer. But I will, as I told you, you can ask me anything, and nothing's out of bounds. But in business, the way that I look at risk is, and you can apply this to life in general, if you... Quantify risk from one being essentially no risk at all to 10 being catastrophic, can wreck your life kind of a risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the things that we're confronted with in life and in business probably fall two to three, maybe four. Most things aren't that risky when you think about it. And so you can assess that risk by sitting down and doing a simple pros and cons or what I'm placing at risk. Uh, what could be the bad outcomes, what could be the good outcome. And you sort of systematize it, if you will, in that way, so that you can weigh the risk. But most risks aren't that big. But most people don't look at risk in the context of really no risk to catastrophic risk. They just focus on that one event. So everything seems like a big deal.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: I believe it's important to look at things in context And then honestly answer, well, what really is the risk? What are the potential negative outcomes? What are the potential positive outcomes? What will you gain or lose as of both? And then make the decision in terms of what that is. And and I do think that that applies very well to business,
0: but it also applies to -to day-to-day life, too. I think it it completely applies and what a great way to look at it because you're, you're taking that step back and creating a little bit more of an aerial view and the way that you describe it, like you said, it's across the board, but specifically as it relates to you and your career in, in the creative realm, do you think that when people are creating something that they feel that risk a, a little bit deeper I don't know.
1: You know, I don't know what people feel uh, on that. I know that, you know, if you're creating something at that moment, uh, as as long as you are in the pure process of creating something, if you're painting something, if you're writing something, if you're working on a dance or whatever, I think that risk has to go out the window. You don't think about it. Uh, because you don't want anything that's going to inhibit your creative process. Where risk comes in, and some people, by the way, embody this even when they're in the process, is that they are afraid of their work not being accepted. They're afraid of rejection. Mm -hmm. Often that starts really early in life. So as a result, they inhibit their own creativity by being afraid to take the risk because they don't know how it's going to be responded to. So what they often will do is blunt all of the edges of what they're doing, which means essentially making it not so interesting because of a fear of that rejection or criticism. So in a creative exercise, whenever you're putting your creativity out there, yeah, you're on the risk of people not liking it, but you'll never know what you're capable of until you uh, ignore that risk or that doubt about the outcome and just do it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's most important.
0: I love your answer, Jeffrey, because I, that was one of the biggest things that I had to overcome in my life is that I, I had a high need for approval, right? So I wanted everybody to, to like me and what I was doing. And I didn't start to come into myself, until I let go of that. And I still fall back into it from time to time. I definitely do. But it changed everything for me, not caring so much what other people thought, because it enabled me to really express and find who I was, right? So I, I love your answer. Let's move over to failure. How do you define it? Have you ever experienced it? I've
1: never experienced it. (laughs) Uh, And I'm only partly joking uh, on that. And the reason I say that is, I guess, what needs to come first to place that in an understandable context is how do I define failure? Yes. Uh, And I define failure as either giving up on yourself not continuing to pursue what's most important to you. Uh, And that to me, that stopping, that giving up on what's important to you, giving up on your principles and compromising those that to me is failure. So throughout life, there are obstacles that happen. There are setbacks that happen. But for me, it's only a failure if you then stop doing what you really love, what you really want to do, because the fear takes over. So I guess I don't have a fear of that. I don't want it to happen, but I don't have a fear of that kind of failure because I have the commitment to keep moving forward in terms of doing the things that are most important to me.
0: Mm. That's outstanding. I really like that shift there for people. Now is success to you like the opposite of that? How do you define success?
1: So to me, there's, you know, two kinds of success. If you're talking about success in business, uh, success in business to me is being able to say no without any catastrophic financial consequences. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that to me is successful. You can afford to say no, and it's not going to hurt you to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of personal life, success is being with friends, family, and loving and being loved back. Mm. And that's success to me on a personal level. So I do, there is a dichotomy there between the two. There, there are different kinds of things and a different measurement for it.
0: I think that's really important because I I often will add a little addendum when I talk about success as to however you may define that, because I think it's important for us to know and to take the time to think through for ourselves what it means to you. Because if we go by other people's assessment of what success and failure is, we're not being as true to ourselves as we could be. And we're, we're comparing.
1: No, I I wanted to say that the bridge between the two, Mm -hmm. between business success and personal success, where there is something that draws them both together. And what is critically important to me is engagement and feeling fully engaged in what it is that I'm doing. That's what success is ultimately. Whether I am fully engaged in writing the play and, you know, mounting it and all the business stuff that goes along with it too, or whether I'm fully engaged with my friends and family when I'm with them, being fully engaged to me is the ultimate metric for success.
0: Mm. I'm sure that the people that are important to you in your life appreciate that that is part of your definition of success. Unfortunately, I think that in today's distracted world, not enough people have that engagement as their their definition of success, right? I I think that it would be great to get that message out to more and more people. It would uh, create deeper relationships overall with ourselves and uh, and with others. How do you foster creative thinking?
1: Uh, I foster creative thinking by thinking. (laughs) And, uh, you know, whether I have the chance, like just the other night going to hear live music, uh, or whether I go to a museum, or whether I read a book, uh, walking around New York City, every day I take pictures and post pictures of just New York City life or things that I see that I think are interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, about that engagement and being engaged and curious about life Mm. and how things work. So, uh, you know, that to me is, is, is the main thing is that curiosity, which is the fuel to want to know more tomorrow than, you know, today. And that's fun to me. I mean, I enjoy it. It's not like it's work. Uh, so that active curiosity is, is something that motivates me. And so the more inputs you have talking to people that you never met before, uh, engaging in conversations with people that you don't agree with mm-hmm. uh, not to prove yourself right but to maybe to understand why they believe what they believe mm-hmm. and so to me it's it's always kind of an active
0: process you know I think that there seems to be a pattern with the the most interesting people that I talk to have curiosity as a as a primary attribute. You know, they, they tend to just be very curious and I, I end up, they stimulate that for me, is that they make me, they're fascinating to me and they make me wanna learn more about them. So I think that curiosity can also be contagious a little bit,
1: right? Well, I think that what's contagious is the passion that accompanies curiosity. That if you are excited about something, Mm-hmm. And you are people feel your excitement and feel your passion that that acts as a magnet. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about you're attracted to people that are, are curious, and that's the through line, the flip side of that is, of course, people who think they know everything and therefore have no questions about anything are pretty boring to be around.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely agree with that one as well.
1: So once you think you have all the answers then you've answered the most important question, which is uh, that you're not a very interesting person because <laughs> nobody has all the answers and life, I believe up until the time you die is a process of discovery. Yes. And uh, that I, I think is what's, what's most important. And I'm not saying that in any kind of profound way of searching for meaning, although that is a part of it, but, you know, I think that it, well, the, the phrase that I really turns me off from people is when people are bored. Mm-hmm. I'm bored, you know, not as like if you're watching a crappy movie or something. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about in life uh, because it's nobody's job to keep you entertained. Mm-hmm. But if you make it your own mission to keep your life interesting, so you keep educating yourself. You keep doing all these things that stimulate new thought. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think, again, that plays into curiosity and passion for what you're doing. And the, and the myth about creativity, one of the myths about creativity, is that somehow something happens as a result of a bolt of lightning. You know, the myth of the lone genius sitting there in the garret painting or writing But in fact, what happens is the more you expose yourself to different points of view, to different inputs, going to concerts, reading books, doing all of these kinds of things, the more dots, if you will, uh, and more electrical connections happen in your brain. And the more of those dots that you have, the more of those connecting points that you have, the more possibilities there are for unique vision or putting things together in a unique way. And so that's really what creativity is, is creativity is being able to look and come up with new combinations of existing things because nothing starts from ground zero. They're all the result of influences and things we've been exposed to.
0: Mm. You know, that's so true. And I was just having a conversation with another speaker about how, you know, we can all trace back what we talk about just if you go back far enough, you're going to find someone else has said something similar to it, but it's our, our experiences and our openness and, and that creative process that takes a concept, maybe a foundation of something and turns it in to something that you can, that you can own and share because it's, it's your take on it. So mm-hmm. you have these foundations like you're talking about, I guess that's similar to the dots, right? Right. Yeah fascinating all right the show is called from fear to fire jeffrey so tell me about a challenge or a fear or something that you had to overcome that you learned a great lesson from
1: you know it's always that's a that's a tough question because for instance uh in doing the play that i that i wrote Mm -hmm. uh Personality, the Lloyd Price musical. Uh, We just had uh, the first commercial run of our play uh, last month. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the People's Light Theater in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was there for about a month and a half. Uh, And, you know, doing rewrites, working with the director and the actors, the choreographer, all the different things, and exposing myself to many areas I'd never been this deep into a theatrical production before. So it was really cool. And so every day was new things were happening for me, new things. They may have been routine for my director, who's fantastic and has done tons and tons of theater over the last 45 years. For me, these were all new experiences, novel experiences, although they applied to things I had done in the past. And as we progressed, you know, we're working towards our first previews and then our first performances in front of an audience, not really knowing whether it would work, whether it would be embraced, whether the years of work and raising money that had got us to that point, when we went in front of that audience, if we bombed, does that blow up everything? Or uh, does that give us the opportunity to develop it further, take another big step, which is in fact what we're doing as a result of it being a successful run? And so I don't think about individual lessons. I think about overall experience and how do those experiences inform the next thing that I do? So it's not like, oh God, I learned never to do that again. You no, know, because if something really screwed up, uh, but it was important to me, I'm going to figure out how to do it right, not get screwed up by it next time. Right. You know, it's part of a learning process. So I don't have those, you know, gong moments where <laughs> uh, you know I realize, oh man, I really screwed this up. What lesson can I take from it? Uh, because I, I don't separate life into those kind of episodes. Mm-hmm. I look at it as, as experiences that I'm having that I hope I learn either what to do or what not to do, but I keep moving.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that ability to keep moving forward is so important right now. And especially in all of the change that is going on, I found that many people that I speak to have this feeling of so much going on around them that they feel stuck or stopped, but we have to keep moving with it, right? Those that, so I, I love how you, that's I think the second or third time that you said about moving forward, keep moving uh, maybe more because it, it definitely resonates with me. Now you have a really interesting philosophy about not giving yourself a fallback position. Can you talk about that?
1: No, I can not
0: No,
1: please. Okay, all right. right. You know, it always interested me that, you know, if you were going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, an accountant, nobody ever said, What's your fallback position? Mm -hmm. But if you were going to be a writer Mm -hmm. or an actor or a musician or a dancer, that would be the first question that arose.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: how are you going to make a living at it? What's your fallback position? Well, I believe that your fallback position is your own savvy, your own perseverance, your own adaptability to be able to continue doing what it is you want to do. So if you have a fallback, you'll probably take it, you know, because again, back to risk. But I don't look at risk as what damage will I do doing that. It's also a missed opportunity to do something that could be really cool. And when I think about what I respond to, whether in the art world or in any world, what I respond to is almost always the product of somebody who went out on a limb and did something different. Mm -hmm. So I want to be one of those people. You know, I want to be one of those people that makes a difference. It makes people laugh. It makes people think that makes people feel something because that's how I want to feel when I experience the world. That's how I want to feel when I read a book. That's how I want to feel when I watch a movie or see a play. And so I don't think about fallback position because I think fallback position is essentially giving up on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in that. I believe that each person's strongest asset is who they are and to fully invest in who they are because that's what makes them unique
0: mm. I absolutely love this you know I, I I definitely know what you're talking about about it being the first thing that people ask you and and I actually gave up a couple of college scholarships to dance um, and was... Thrilled to do so and thrilled as well to later go back and have to pay for college myself because I got to do what I loved to do. Right. And one of the things that I carried with me when I made move forward into different careers, when I've been asked on shows like this, right? Like, so what. What got you into doing keynote speaking? And I and I reference back to dance because of a phrase that you just said. You like to make people feel. And I think that it's very much the same for me. My one of the favorite things that I loved doing as a dancer was to look out and see an expression or, or a tear or something. I love to make people feel something. And that's that's the same. It's the same now. And, and I, so those, those underlying motivations that we have for why we do what we do, I think that no matter what you're doing, as you're moving forward, you're being flexible, you're bobbing, you're weaving in the world, right? That you do have those. You have those, those motivators. And that's definitely one for me. And I'm so glad that you brought it up, Jeff. Now, I'd love for you to share with everyone a little bit about your book, creative careers, making a living with your ideas. It sounds absolutely amazing. Well, the book is a
1: result of the class that I teach of the same name at Parsons School of Design in New York City. And it's really about a lot of the things that we're talking about, but it's not just my story. It's also the story of 50 of the people or so that I've interviewed in my class who they're not synchronous in their beliefs. You know, they have different approaches and it's up to the reader to figure out what resonates and makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. And at the end of each chapter, there are a series of questions for you to ask yourself. And one of the neat things that happened that I didn't anticipate was that there were people who were writing down the answers in the book and so there wasn't enough room to write all of their thoughts down. So they started keeping a journal as they read the book and ended up with a journal that they could go back and reflect on their own thoughts and what inspired them, what resonated with them and that sort of thing about having a creative career, about being able to take their expression and actually make a living with it. And it's not really a how-to book at all, because there's no, I don't believe in recipes, Mm -hmm. unless you're cooking something, I don't (laughs) believe in recipes. Uh, You know, because you can't replicate other people's life experience and other people's customer experience and all of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is learn from what others have been through. And possibly, just like we've had in our conversation, there's something that touches you because it's also what you think And it's great to hear that articulated by somebody else.
0: Yes.
1: And so uh, the book breaks down all different types of entrepreneurial and creative ventures and why people did what they did. How did they come to do it? When did they decide to go in? How do you assess risk? How do you uh, deal with doubt and keep moving forward? How do you even sustain interest? And when's the time to let go? Mm -hmm. So. There's a lot there to unpack, and uh, it's been very gratifying the responses I've gotten to it.
0: That's amazing! It, it sounds absolutely incredible. You know what? This is the time I think then to share. How can people get a hold of you? Um, find the book. Where can they find it? Maybe um, you know if they got inspired, want to go watch your documentaries? Like, let us know. How can we find these things?
1: So my book is available at Amazon and I like saying it in my FM radio voice and all fine booksellers. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, be mm-hmm. Jeffrey Madoff, and uh, the website for my production company is madoffproductions.com. Uh, I have also an Instagram page about the class that I teach, which is at a creative career. And that has just quotes, like on LinkedIn, quotes from the guests that I've had in class about entrepreneurship, leadership, creativity, all kinds of different things. I have a a wide, wide range of different kinds of guests that I've had. Mm -hmm. And there's also a website, which is a creativecareer.com. And finally, I I mentioned to you the shots that I take just walking around New York, and that's on Instagram and it's at at Jeff underscore Madoff. Mm -hmm. So those are the best ways to to reach me, but the best way to interact with me is via LinkedIn.
0: Okay, so for those of you out there who are scribbling furiously right now, because Jeff gave us lots of great resources and ways that we can find things, Don't worry, we will put links to everything that he just mentioned into the show notes for you along with a a more extensive bio of his and where you can listen and re-listen to the show over and over again. Now, what I really want you to do is I want you to go out there and I I want you to share it. We're going to share the creative process and some of these ideas. Leave us a review, we love those. So Jeff, this has been amazing. Do you have any... Final parting words of wisdom that you would like to share. Well,
1: I have something I'd like to share how much wisdom there is <laughs> other people. Well,
0: I'll be the judge of They're that for Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like when, Hey, I have a great idea. I'll be the judge. of that. You, know, uh, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, and I wanted to respond to it. You mentioned about, you know, these times in particular are challenging and they are, you know, having gone through COVID, dealing with a very tense international situation that's going on now in the Ukraine, uh, the racial tensions that are going on, uh, all of these things. However, they're not unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think back to my grandmother. And my grandmother, you know, was coming at age and starting her family during the last pandemic you know, back in 1918. And she came to this country from Czechoslovakia. She had to learn another language. She spoke seven languages. And, you know, she came here with no money and she had to forge a life for herself. Radio had become a power when she was younger. She lived long enough that TV became a thing. Mm -hmm. And there were seismic changes that were happening during her lifetime, I look at my parents' lifetime and, you know, being kids during the depression, then World War II and all of that. I came up during the Vietnam War era and then the things we're going through now. Every generation has massive challenges in front of them. I think the main difference is now we're reminded 24-7 of all the things that are going on. And I think it seems like it's almost impossible to get away from this tidal wave of bad, oftentimes terrifying news. But I think it's really important to have a bigger historical context to place this in, to realize that there are always challenges in life. There are always major changes in life. And there are all these things that always affect all of us as we go forward. And I truly believe, and believe me, I am far away from being a Pollyanna person. But I believe that we have much more in common than we do differences. But all the forces, be it social media or be it the 24-7 news cycle, gin up the rage machine. Mm -hmm. And it seems as if it's much more difficult, much more polarized, when in fact, I think that the general populace has so much more in common that they have differently, that if we can learn to also look at that and maybe create some bridges over those gaps of understanding that we'd be much better off.
0: Mm. Oh, I love that. I mean, I, think I you can't get much better as a final parting words of wisdom. I made the judgment and yes, I will consider them words of wisdom, Jeff. Oh, boy, thank I, you. I think it's I think that is exactly what I needed to hear and what probably a lot of other people out there needed to hear as well. So thank you so much for your wisdom and for your time and for your energy and your humor. I loved it all. (laughs) I appreciate you and I appreciate all you listeners out there as well. Thank you.